my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Would you pray with me and for me as we open God's word together tonight? Father, we ask again that you would help us to worship you with our hearts, with our affections, with our minds, with our entire being. Father, speak through me, not my words, but yours. Edify your church. Build us up. We praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight, we are gathered to celebrate TGIF, which, as we all know, stands for, thank goodness it's Friday, which is sort of odd because the Friday that we are celebrating tonight is unlike any other Friday in all of human history. What's so different about this Friday? Well, though we call this Friday good, it's actually the worst Friday of all of them in all of human history. It's, it's a terrible, it's a dark Friday, actually. It's a moment that is darker than any war, darker than any famine, darker than any plague. It's even darker than any natural disaster. And yet here we are, not only here to celebrate this dark moment, but to call it good. And so when it comes to the word good, maybe we should pause for a minute and ask what that actually means. We should probably define it. What do we mean by the word good when we call it Good Friday? Do we mean Happy Friday? That we all are just to walk around with big grins on our faces and be extra special and happy that day. Is that what that means? No. What do we mean? Do we mean better? As in, this Friday is better than all other Fridays. Is it some super-duper special holy day that we put on our calendars just because? No, that's not it either. Perhaps we mean it's morally good Friday, as in Friday counts for double points, so we better be good boys and good girls and be on our best behavior. Is that what we mean by good Friday? Clearly not. What do we mean then by good Friday? Well, I think we can surmount it to one word, and it's a word called hope. We call it Good Friday because though it is the darkest day in all of human history, it was ultimately a day of hope, immense hope. And it's this day of hope that we celebrate because it was a day when Jesus, the Son of God, decided and fulfilled and went through finally with his mission. And what mission was that? to bear the penalty of the sins of the entire world upon himself, your sins, my sins. 1 John 2.2 says this, He is the propitiation for our sins, 
not only for ours, but for also the sins of the entire world. Propitiation is a word we don't hear very often, and I would imagine nobody here has even probably used it in regular conversation in the past, we'll say, oh, 10, 10 decades, right? We just don't use this word very often. So let me ask you, what does this word mean? Propitiation, the mouthful, means payment. And a payment was absolutely necessary because there was a cost. Why was there a cost? Well, because there was a debt, right? Why was there a debt to be paid? Because of sin. Romans 6.23 says, for the cost of sin is death. You know, when we go to the grocery store or we shop online, like many of us now do, we see all these items lined up with a price tag on them, letting us know how much we have to pay for said thing. Well, in the cosmic grocery store, there is a shelf and there is an item on it called sin, and it comes with a price of death, which means not only physical death, but eternal death. It's eternal death separated from the love and goodness of God in a place called hell. Well, I'm sure glad I've never sinned before. How about you? I've never bought any sin. I don't remember that showing up on my credit card statement. I should be good. Well, bad news. Actually, you did, and so did I. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every single person. Every single person born is born a sinner. We are born a sinner who has entered the cosmic grocery store countless of times to purchase sin because we are addicted to it. We crave it. We want it. We can't get enough of it. We desire it. But make no mistake, just as deadly drugs lead to death, so does sin. And even just one bite of it is a deadly poison that seeps through our veins that eventually leads to our destruction. It does. And so all of us stand as condemned sinners who are completely unable to pay for the price tag of sin that we just took off the shelf. We are completely helpless then. We are completely without hope. As sinners, the debt to be paid was God's righteous judgment upon us. And it was a judgment that we could never bear. It was a payment that we could never afford. We were poor. We were helpless. We were without hope. That is, until Christ became our blessed hope on a day that we now call Good Friday. And that's why it's a day of hope. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know, the first two words in that sentence actually summarize the entire reason we have any hope at all. And we're going to talk more about those two words come this Sunday. But what two words do you see in that verse? You can answer back. What do you see? What are the two, first two words? But God. Right there, upon those two words, hang the entirety of our hope. That's it. That's what it's on. That's what they're hanging on. Our hope doesn't hang upon, but I worked hard enough, or but I sinned less than everybody else. Nor is our hope based upon, but I prayed a really sincere super prayer. That's not our hope. Our hope entirely is based upon those two words, but God. And this is a God who then went on to show his great love towards us. Not reluctant love, not hesitant love, great love. That while we were still sinners, the text says, he died for us. Christ 
died for us while we were still sinners. Now, why would he go and do something like that? Ever thought about that? Well, it's because, as we said, our sin demanded payment. And Christ paid the debt for our sins upon the cross that you and I could never pay. We couldn't afford it. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, and this is the Old Testament, and this is looking forward to Christ. It's a prophecy telling what Christ would do. It reads this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. One more verse that's similar. This is in the New Testament. This is 1 Peter 2, 24, and it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. What is this healing? What is it speaking of? Is this healing from all physical disease? If we just trust in Christ, then all of our diseases will go away? Hardly. Look around the room. We know many people who have been struggling with diseases and with sicknesses. Is this healing from financial hardships? Is this simply Jesus died, and if you trust in him, he wants to make you wealthy and comfortable and live the good life? Is that the healing that this is talking about? Not at all. No, not at all. So what is the healing that's being referred to here? Well, it's talking about the healing of the curse of sin. The healing from the penalty of sin, which is the wrath of a righteous God against sinners. Now, maybe, perhaps, I don't know if you're like me, but when you think about these things, maybe you wonder and you say, now, wait a minute, why couldn't God just forgive? Why all the blood? Why all the suffering? Why the cross? This seems a little bit extreme, doesn't it? Like, lighten up, God. Like, what's the big deal? Everybody sins. Can't you just, you know, forgive and forget? Why didn't God just forgive everyone? Well, Let me answer that hard question of yours. You guys are coming with hard questions tonight. I'm glad. Let me answer that hard question with an illustration. If I crashed my car into your house, and I just tore up the whole front of it, knocked in the door, knocked in the wall, and I caused thousands of dollars worth of damage, and I don't have any insurance to cover it, and your insurance isn't going to cover it, what are your options here? Well, you have two options, all right? If it comes to forgiving my debt, either one... You can forgive it yourself. See, you can't just say, oh, no big deal. I just forgive you. I don't really need a front door and a front wall. In fact, I don't think winter's going to be that bad. Just don't worry about it. No, you can't. You've got to deal with the problem. There's major damage done, okay? And so option one is you can deal with the damage, or you can make me deal with the damage. You can force me to pay it, or you can pay it yourself. And notice, though, by actually doing so, by, by you forgiving and forgetting, we'll go with that term, by you forgiving and forgetting that damage, you're taking that debt upon yourself. You're volunteering to pay it. Because those are the only two options. Either you pay for it, or I pay for it. That's how that works. See, at its core, forgiveness always works this way. So just saying, God, why don't you just lighten up and forgive and forget is silly. It's nonsense. It's not possible. And we know this even from our own relationships. Think about it. If somebody goes around and starts slandering you, starts spreading gossip that just destroys your reputation, and you decide to just forgive and forget, instead of paying them back with slander or a lawsuit, notice what you have to do. You have to put the debt of the damage they caused on yourself. You have to absorb it. You don't inflict it back on them, which as many of us who have done this know it's a form of suffering, right? 
It doesn't feel good to do that. It hurts deeply to do so. Forgiveness always demands suffering, always, every time. And so think about this. When it comes to sin and how big of a deal sin is and how the depths of evil that we see sin come to, why would we think it would be any different with God? In Hebrews 9.22, do you now see why it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins? It's true. Another thing, not only does forgiveness demand suffering, but justice demands it too. Now, why? Think about it. If some, imagine for a moment that somebody murdered your entire family, and then after the long and painful court process is complete, the judge stands up and he says this to the defendant. He looks him in the eye and he says, without a doubt, you are guilty. But I forgive you. And go, enjoy your freedom. Enjoy the rest of your life. Now let me ask you the same, now let me ask you this. Would you say, oh, what a loving and forgiving judge. He just forgave and forget. Of course that was just a loving thing to do. No, you wouldn't say that at all. You'd be furious. You'd be rightly furious. Because that kind of forgiveness is wrong. It's not right. Right? It's to mock your suffering. It's to mock your loss. In fact, we could say, it would be evil for a judge to do something like that. Not only is it impossible for God to just forgive and forget, it would be evil for him to do so. And doing evil is something a holy God simply cannot do. He cannot sin. It's against his nature. Which is why Genesis 18 tells us that God is a perfectly righteous judge who always does what is right. And so for us to be forgiven, Christ had to die. It had to happen. For if Christ would not have died for us, we would be completely without hope. We wouldn't call it Good Friday. It'd be Bad Friday. Every, every, day, every Friday would be Bad Friday. In fact, every day would be bad because we would be on our way to hell in judgment. For if Christ would not have died for us, we would be completely without hope. We would still owe the payment for our sin that we purchased from the cosmic store. And we could never pay it back. But God... And praise God for those two words. But God, with his great love by which he loved us, sent Christ to die for us, for our sins. In John 19.30, we read of Jesus' final words upon the cross, in which he cries out, it is finished. What is finished? What is he talking about? Well, his atoning work upon the cross. That's what. The propitiation, the payment was complete. The payment for our sin had been fully met, which is why in Matthew chapter 27, it tells us that the moment that this happened, do you know what happened in the Jewish temple? The, the, the big veil in there ripped in two, which is incredibly significant. Why? Here's why. See, in the Jewish temple, inside the very center of it was this place called the Holy of Holies. And there was only one guy, the high priest, who was able to go in there once a year, right, to do an offering for the sins of the people. Anybody else who went in there, boom, dead on the spot, which is why Jewish tradition tells us that what they would do is they would put a bell on them, they would tie a rope around their legs so that if they fell, they'd hear the bell stop moving and they'd know to pull them out because nobody was going to dare go in there after him because they didn't want to end up in the same boat. And this priest, whenever he went in there, he had to go through a very extensive ritual to cleanse himself from sin. Because if he didn't, 
he was toast. All right? And another thing about this veil in this inner holy of holies is Jewish tradition tells us, you know how big this thing was? This thing was 60 feet high, four inches thick. I've seen guys rip phone books in half. You're not going to rip that veil. I don't care how big of a bodybuilder you are. That thing is massive. You're not going to rip that thing. All right? This was a massive veil. And this veil vividly symbolized the barrier that stood between a holy God and between sinful man. And you couldn't go through that without going through death, without being just destroyed by the holiness of God. Sin can't dwell in the presence of God. It doesn't work. And so yet, on the cross, Jesus' death, as Hebrews tells us, was the final and perfect sacrifice that removed the barrier between a holy God and sinful man. And let me ask you this. Do you know which direction that veil tore? Tore? you know which way it tore? Did it tear from the ground up or from the top down? Top down, which also symbolizes that it was heaven, not man who broke through to rip the divide asunder. It wasn't our good works that did it. It was God who did this. It was not us. God himself tore the veil in two from the top down, which shows that the payment for sin was fully paid for, and the way back to God was now completely open. In the book of Numbers chapter 21, we read of how the Israelite people sinned yet again. Shocker, right? Spoiler alert, it just keeps happening over and over and over. They sinned, against, against God. They sinned again against God, and you know what happened? God sent serpents to bite them, deadly, poisonous snakes, who would bite them, and after a few days, it would lead to their death, all right? And so God then instructed Moses to make a bronze serpent and to hang it on a pole as he promised that whoever would look upon it would be healed. That's it. That's all they had to do. Look on, look on it, and you were fine. It was really that simple. Look and live. But if you didn't, you were dead. You would die. And you see the symbolism in this? It's profound. Let's look at this. First, why a snake? Well, the snake reminded them of their sin, which brought about God's wrath. It was a symbol that, sh- that reminded them of their disobedience, of the cost of sin that they purchased in the cosmic store. Why bronze? Well, because in the Bible, bronze is a symbol that always symbolizes judgment, which is why on the altar where the sacrifices were burnt, it was made of bronze. See, bronze on this bronze and altar was the place where the sacrifices, the, you know, the animals, the, they were laid out to meet the fire of God's judgment. All right, now why a pole? Because their sin that deserved judgment was placed up high for all to see. It was placed up high and it was judged by God, but how was it ultimately judged by God? Through the final and perfect sacrifice, which would one day be nailed to another wooden pole to suffer and die so that all who might look upon it might live. John three fourteen through 16 says this, And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And it goes on to say, And whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us is a sinner who has been bitten by the poison of God's wrath, which will soon set in and lead to our total destruction. Every single one of us then is a dead man walking who needs to be cured. We've got poison in us that is going to destroy us. And yet remarkably, just as with the bronze serpent, we find God's same simple offer being made today. Look and live. 
That's it. It's really that simple. Look and live. John 3.16, we all know this. We've heard it a million times. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So that's it. It's really that simple. That's the offer. You can look and live, or else you cannot look. You can die in your sins. You can try to save yourself from the poison that's within your veins, and I can assure you it will not work. There hasn't been a single person in history yet outside of Christ to conquer death. You cannot do it. And so if you look upon the cross, the cross can become your confident hope, which makes you say, thank goodness for Friday. Praise God it's Friday. Praise God for the ultimate Good Friday. And so that ultimately is why we are here. We are celebrating the darkest moment in all of human history. For by God's grace through faith, the worst Friday ever has remarkably become our blessed hope, which as we know is a hope that doesn't stay in the grave, but on the third day rose again victoriously to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the simplicity of salvation, which is to look upon the glory of the crucified Christ. Father, we just, uh, we just ask especially, Lord, if there's one here who has not come to trust in Christ and the simple plan of salvation of look and live. Father, if there's one here who is still trying to trust in but themselves, but their good works, but their religious obedience, but their moral righteousness. I pray for them especially. Father, even if they're trying to approach you by faith plus something else, it's still not by faith. And so, Father, I ask that they would see the impossibility of curing the poison that's within their veins. That they would see that it is as simple as looking and live upon Christ, who is our Savior, who died for the sins of the world and who rose victoriously and now lives as our confident hope, which guarantees that we know one day too that we will live also with him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing our closing song?